Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Dear Father, as we gather here on this MLK weekend, we are reminded of your call upon all of us. God, that you made each one of us in your image. We are all equally valuable and precious and prized. So Lord, help us to do that when we look at others and when we embrace others. Lord, we're reminded of a man who served, uh, Lord, in in a time in our country where what he stood for was incredibly brave, incredibly true, and yet if we're honest, the church at large didn't stand behind it very well. Lord, forgive us, and Lord, help us now where we're at to cherish every person before us and get to know those who are different than us, that we would really help to love others if you called us to love them. Lord, move in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to represent you wherever we go, whomever we're with. As we talk about and we pray about those uh, who are trying to do that, I think of David and Angie Evansberger. In their ministry in Belgium, Lord, we pray for them today as they face some challenges here with a daughter now living here and they're trying to minister there. Lord, we pray that you would be their peace, their comfort, their joy, their strength. And Lord, give them wisdom through each step to know what to do and what to say and when to do it and, and when to say it. Lord, use them in incredible ways, Lord, to expand your kingdom. And Lord, we also think of those who are part of our church family here, those who are struggling with various degrees of cancer and the diagnosis that has come. Lord, there have been several. And Lord, we pray, God, that you are our healer. Pray, Lord, that you would touch what only you can touch and heal what only you can heal and restore what only you can restore. God, we pray for these precious people, knowing that you love and you care for them, and we do too. We lift them up, Lord, in your name. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'll never forget the young woman in her mid-20s who came to meet with me one day. She had long loved Christ. In fact, he was her everything. That was until she began listening to a certain podcast that downgraded Christ and sought to delegitimize the Christian faith. And so once filled with the joy of Christ, this young woman was now steeped in her belief as an atheist. She also admitted some things that had changed in her life as a result. Hope had been replaced with depression. Scripture had been replaced by her secular counselor. And her dependence upon God had been replaced with dependence upon weed and alcohol. And then she told me, I don't know what's wrong with me. Something just isn't right. She went looking for more and found much less than she had bargained for. Last weekend, we began this brand new series entitled Live for More. And we learned that Christians in Colossae back then had first embraced Christ, but soon began to wonder if Jesus was everything that they needed. In their minds, there must be more. And since they were immature in their faith, they were prone to false teachers and philosophies, which told them of the various ways they could find the quote-unquote more that they were looking for. And as a result, a dense fog of religious pluralism began to roll in, which clouded their thinking and caused them to question the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Various philosophies began to blow these anchorless believers off course from the true anchor of their faith. And as they drifted farther and farther away from the only one who could truly give them more, they began to slowly sink into the murky waters of moral compromise. Friends, this is what happens to any church, any person, any Christian who drinks deeply from the surrounding well of their culture. It can leave people with a loss of hope since the well they keep drinking from is empty and dry. And like that young woman, they get confused because that well sure did look beautiful from the outside. That's why these wells are so deceptive, friends. Well, the Apostle Paul, he heard about what was happening to this young church, and so he sat down and he wrote them a letter. He wrote them a letter to address their spiritually drifting condition. And while he wrote his words under house arrest in Rome some 2,000 years ago, his words sadly describe what many Christians are grappling with today. Some of the heresies in Paul's day still reside within our own. And the tantalizing deceptions of his day still beckon us to follow. And that's why we, just like them, have witnessed how the ways of culture have downgraded Christ's identity, degraded Christ's all-sufficient work, and denigrated Christ's absolute authority as Savior and Lord. And you would say, well, Phil, I, I, I see that in our surrounding culture, but thankfully it's not happening so much with Christians today. Sadly, friends, this is happening even among Christian pastors today. A recent Barna study that was done in 2022 showed, and listen to this stat, that only 37% of pastors who serve in seven different denominations in America today have a biblical worldview. That's just slightly more than a third. And you might think, well, what about the evangelical pastors? They're the ones who are known to you know, preach the Bible. Well, studies show that 30% of evangelical pastors say they don't believe that salvation is based exclusively on confessing their sins and following Jesus Christ. 39% of evangelical pastors reject that there's an absolute moral truth and instead contend that each individual must determine their own truth. And 37% of them say that having a faith matters more than which faith you have. A mist in the pulpit, a fog in the pew, and downright confusion out there in our culture. Friends, it's time for us to really wake up and see what's really going on. This is a lesson that Jim Carrey, the famous actor, has been learning in his life. If you followed him at all, he's long been known as a man on the search for more. In fact, many people would say that he found it. He's a multimillionaire and an actor. But he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This young woman who met with me that day, well, she was learning that. She thought that the answer was seeking more than just Jesus. In fact, she thought that being an atheist and casting God aside would produce a better life for her. And while you think about it, Think about this. Well, an atheist in our world signifies somebody who has abandoned a belief in God. An atheist in ancient Rome was someone who had abandoned a belief in their many gods. There was a God on every corner. That's why. So if, if you were a person, for example, who said, I follow Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only, back then you were considered to be an atheist because you were to worship all the Roman gods. 
And that included Caesar, the emperor, who was a god in their minds. And if you didn't worship all the Roman gods, your life was in danger. So Christians were under a lot of pressure back then, which is why these false teachings and deceptive philosophies were so incredibly tempting for Christians to consider. Because if they did, they would not just fit within their culture. They wouldn't have to question if tomorrow was something that they should fear or not. They were going to live in peace. And so it's with the care of a pastor and the encouragement that comes only from someone who knows hope well and therefore loves others well. Paul wrote these words. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Think about this. Paul didn't know the members of this church. But even so, he wrote them and told them what they needed. Faith, hope, and love. After all, every Christian life begins with faith. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And as the Bible tells us elsewhere, that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then here in Colossians, Paul tells us that faith is like a fountain that springs forth love. Love. And yet in our own culture, what is love? It's defined a thousand different ways. And so Paul tells us, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's why love never fails. And then Paul tells them, and he mentions this word, this thing that we all need, this word called hope, hope. In fact, the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians was much like the prayer to the Ephesians. We wrote, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Faith, hope, and love. Friends, they're powerfully different from one another, and yet they also powerfully complement one another. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite pastors, he says it this way. Faith looks back to the anchor of salvation, Jesus Christ's person and work. Here's what he has done. Love looks around, building up the body of Christ through selfless service towards one another by the power of the Spirit. And hope looks ahead to the unalterable promise of God the Father that he will one day usher us into his presence. Faith, hope, and love. Powerful. But what's interesting here as well is that here in Colossians chapter 1 is that this, that well, Paul addressed the church in Corinth by writing, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Here in Colossians, Paul established hope as the anchor for the other two, for both faith and love. 
Because he writes in verse 5, the faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So hope is where it all starts. It springs up from the hope stored up for you in heaven. This causes us to ask, doesn't it? Why is hope in heaven? I mean, don't we need hope down here? Think of it this way. Heaven is where Christ is, which is why heaven is where our hope is. I'll say it again. Heaven is where Christ is, which is why heaven is where our hope is. And here's the truth. If you're placing your hope in anyone else or anything else, ongoing, everlasting, resilient hope will not be known to you. Friends, hear me clearly that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. But in the absence of pursuing just Jesus and maybe more than Jesus, what do we do? Well, rather than wait for what true hope will bring us, we start looking for a hope placebo right now. And so we create hope. We reinvent hope. We embrace false hope. And the result, more pain, not more hope. And in the process as Christians, we invent false pseudo-Christian hope. That says, if we only pray this prayer, speak this tongue, adopt this attitude, or have a little more faith, then God will give us the Disneyland experience we want to think he's promised. We either replace Jesus or supplement Jesus to get what we have previously decided we deserve. And when we don't get it, what happens? Well, hope seems lost. Why? Well, because we never placed our hope in Jesus to begin with. Rather, we only placed our hope in what we wanted Jesus to give us. And so in our confusion, we try to make room for more than just Jesus. And so we embrace Jesus and lifestyle, or a Jesus plus lifestyle, or a Jesus when I feel like it lifestyle. And this only brings us more, but more of what we don't need, more pain. And while pain, of course, is a reality for every person on the planet, Studies actually show that the majority of the pain we experience in our life, we bring upon ourselves. And then when we do that, what happens? We hope that the pain will go away. So misplaced hope after misplaced hope. But here's the good news. Because God is so good, he will even use our self-inflicted pain to help get us back to the true hope he has for us. It's why he wrote in Romans, he says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, Paul keeps reminding us that if we want more hope, we need to pursue more of Jesus and the message that he came to bring. And if this is actually true for us, well, the hope we have in Jesus will produce more faith and more love in our lives. And then Paul draws a comparison that just like hope produces more faith and more love, it grows it. He says, in the same way then, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul's words here are incredibly hopeful, but what we miss, again, is how scandalous they are. They're scandalous. 
An inscription found in 9 BC stated the words about Caesar Augustus. Remember, he was a god in their minds, the leader of Rome. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set things in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit mankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he... Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news or the gospel for the world that has come by reason of him. And so in this one inscription, we see that in the minds of the people, Caesar was a god. He was their savior, and he was the bringer of the gospel, the good news. We also see that they thought that no other leader could ever accomplish more than Augustus. In their minds, this was true because only he brought hope to a region ravaged by war for decades. Only he brought hope to the waters where people were robbed by pirates and barbarians. Only he brought hope to those he had conquered And only he brought hope as he expanded Rome's borders and influence in the world. And while the reign of Augustus marked the beginning of what's known as Pax Romana, his peace and his hope would last for a mere 200 years. It's pretty good. But Paul is saying, oh, there's something better. There is something better that's going to change. It's going to last for more than 200 years. It's going to go on and on and on. That's why you're saying Jesus was bringing a greater peace, a greater hope, a greater power, a greater forgiveness, a greater influence. See, Paul was holding nothing back given his culture. His words were downright scandalous. And this is why he wrote elsewhere. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew." And then to the Gentile. This should hold true, of course, on this particular weekend. It should remind us of this. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul is basically saying this. If you're looking for more hope, you're only going to find it by seeking more of Jesus. And if you're looking for Jesus, you're only going to find him by believing in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. But just like us, let's be honest, some Christians in Colossae were fine with the good news of Jesus. They were. They were just looking for other good news to add to him, other good news that would supplement him. Why? Well, because like many of us, they were caught in the trap of comparison and the trap of ungratefulness, the trap of forgetfulness. One person said it this way, human beings are the only species who set a trap and then step in it. We keep doing that over and over and over again. They did. They did. The Christians in the Colossians, they've been comparing themselves with the people who lived in Laodicea, this bustling trade city, or the people who lived in Hierapolis. This is a vacation destination. They could see high up on that mountain. They wanted what these other people had. But the question behind it all was this. Were these other people actually bearing good fruit? Or were they slowly dying because they were detached from the life giver? And this is why Paul writes this. He says, the gospel, not these other things, the gospel is bearing fruit. 
See, Paul was reminding them that while those other places were big, they were part of something bigger, something life-giving and life-altering. The gospel was bearing fruit. It was changing lives. In fact, the fruit was so bountiful that it was growing throughout the whole world. So Paul was saying, pursue hope, embrace hope, declare hope. Because you, you are not part of just a nice idea. You are not a minor character in some fantasy novel. No, you are part of a worldwide gospel movement that is transforming millions of lives by the power of God's spirit. Amen? That's what you're part of. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And how does this happen? Well, Paul says simply enough, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. Paul is basically saying, the gospel movement of hope spreads one life at a time. One life at a time. That's why Paul goes on to write, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Friends, this is how the gospel is always spread. One person who's been changed by the hope of the gospel then tells it to another who they, once they believe it, then tells it to another. For how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How many of you know I'm a preacher? Did you know that you are as well? You might preach with words, you might preach with your life, but every person whose life has been changed by the hope of the gospel is a preacher. And what do we preach? We preach the gospel. The gospel, that's what we preach. If somebody came up to you and said, you have 60 seconds to tell me what the gospel is, could you do it? What is it? What is the gospel? We need to have clarity about this, friends. Paul put it this way, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, this is the heart and the hope of the gospel Jesus came to bring. It produces everlasting life. So the gospel then says this, that we have a sin problem that only Jesus can eradicate. Our world doesn't like to talk about sin. It's like sin has just you know, vanished. And yet all you need to do is look on the TV, look at the news, look at how people are treating each other at work, look at how people are treating each other in your neighborhood. Sin is everywhere. We have a sin problem that only Jesus can eradicate. And the good news is that Jesus paid for our sins through his death and his burial. He took upon himself what we could never do for ourselves. He took your sin, my sin, upon his shoulders. And then Jesus conquered our sins through his resurrection on the third day. That the fact that he rose from the grave is the guarantee that we can rise and live as well. Paul tells us that those who receive this gospel will find hope and they will be saved. So basically saying, if you want more hope, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. But here's where we've gone awry, I think, as Christians, especially here in America and elsewhere, we see in Europe, that we tend to think that what we believe is just an internal decision. It's what we hold up here, and maybe in here, but it's all internal. The Jewish way of thinking was this, true belief always resulted in true action. 
True belief always resulted in true action. So if you truly believed something, everyone around you knew it because you made it a verb. A verb. So have you truly believed the gospel? Well, if so, who have you been sharing it with? Who could you be sharing it with? Friends, it's essential that we do. I say this because just like in Colossae, our culture has embraced so many other things, so many other false gospels that they declare to be good news for everyone. And I could sit here for the next 30 minutes and talk about all the versions of the quote-unquote good news this world is declaring that people are buying and selling I'm just going to name a few. How about the good news of politics? How positioning your favorite party alongside of or above even God himself will bring hope and prosperity to our land? Or how about the good news of me? My likes, my followers, my opinions, my personal pronouns. More of me is good for everyone. Really? How about the good news of accumulation? My stuff, my wealth, my name, my esteem. You can find full life if you seek more for yourself. More of me. And then there's this one. It's everywhere. You don't need me to look very hard. The good news of transgenderism. How my feelings, my choice, my transformation will help others to learn how to be more true to themselves. In fact, if you're watching... I don't know if you heard the latest reports out there. People are even saying that Jesus Christ is transgender. And how about this? It's even closer to home, the good news of sports. How dedicating my time, my priorities, my money in order to place my child on a traveling team so family connections can be minimized and God can be repositioned to the sidelines is somehow good for my family. Friends, we got to stop this. I talked to one young couple this past summer who told me the wife, she works full-time, has a really great job. And all of her money that she makes goes to paying for the sports activities for their two children. May we never forget that Nike was one of the Greek gods. So I ask, who are you worshiping? Friends, this kind of good news is actually fake news. Fake news. It leaves people with an overwhelming loss of hope since the well they keep drinking from is empty and dry. I've just mentioned a few, but there's all kinds of good news being promoted out there. The question is this. Are you buying it? Are you participating in it? Are you even promoting it? What this world needs is more hope, which will only be experienced if you and I make Christ central and then truly share the true gospel. So are you hot or are you cold? Are you in or are you lukewarm? Are you a Christ follower or are you a culture follower? Are you pursuing the right kind of more? Are you truly pursuing Jesus? Then believe the gospel. Share the gospel and don't water the gospel down in your pursuit of seeking more likes and more friends and more attention and more followers. Follow him. Follow him only. Declare him. Remember that hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And as we humble ourselves, friends, as we truly pursue him, may we never forget what Paul writes here at the end of chapter one. 
to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. We get confused because in a culture that's all about you, may we never forget that more hope isn't found in you. More hope is only found if you have Christ in you and then you share him with others. Are you? Or have you merely filled yourself up with more and more and more and more of you? How might you know? Well, answer these questions for yourself. Do I talk more about me or more about him? Do I spend more time on my priorities or his priorities? Do I spend more money on me so I can give less to him? Do I meet more of my wants or more of others' needs? Friends, if you want more hope, believe the gospel and then make it a verb in your life and share it wherever you go. Before we do that, I think all of us, including myself, we need to pray. Will you join me? Dear Father, you know we live in a culture that preaches so many things. All the versions of the good news that are out there that are destroying us as a people, really hurting our nation, hurting us as Christians. So Lord, let's start here with us. We who say that we are followers of you, Lord, forgive us, we pray. Forgive us for really putting other things first and then kind of including you in the mix. Forgive us, Lord, for even setting you aside in many ways in the pursuit of all the different things that we want that we think you should be giving us. How prideful we've been. Lord, forgive us. Help us, Lord, to truly follow you to seek more of you, not more of ourselves, not more of everything else this world says that we need, more of you. May you be central, Lord, we pray. And if there are those here today who said, you know what, I, I've never really followed Christ, heard about him, know about him, but I've been pursuing all these other things and honestly, they don't work. In fact, you related perhaps with that woman's statement that said, something just isn't right. Then Mark, today is the day that you begin following Jesus. And you might say a prayer that looks something like this between your heart and his, just quietly. Dear Jesus, thank you for taking my sin upon yourself at the cross. Lord, forgive me. I've been walking this road by myself. I've been walking this road making one choice after another. But my choices are leading me nowhere. Nowhere good. Lord, forgive me. I now place my life in your hands. I ask that you wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Lord, I want to follow you all the days of my life. That means I want to submit to you. I want to learn from you. I want to follow you. And I want to represent you wherever I go. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.